You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a very good show. May I dare I say a great show planned for you because we have Matt Armand. He is the founder, president, CEO of Align Executive Search. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick, for having me. Let's get right into it. You've been in business for eight years. What was your original motivation to begin and start Align Executive Search? You know, I was in a previous uh, recruitment partnership for close to a decade. And for me, it was the next natural step for growth and progression. I wanted to learn how to really run a business, the inside, the outside. Previous to this, I was a top sales guy for a number of years. And um, it was really more the, uh, the growth. I wanted to really learn what it was like to uh, just be a businessman. So let's just say for now, we'll put a pin in it until later. It's a difference between being a successful salesperson and being a successful entrepreneur. It's a different, little bit different world, isn't it, Matt? Absolutely. Absolutely. When was, was there a specific event or when did you truly believe that Align Executive Search was going to thrive and that you could depend on it as the entrepreneur for you as a business? You know, it, um, in my first year, uh, we did exactly what we were set out to do to plan. And I surprised myself with that. I had a number of uh, clients that were loyal to me, uh, that I had worked with through multiple different companies over the last two decades and, um, was very surprised at the support that I had when I made the announcement that I was going out on my own. And so I knew right away it would be a success. I had a pretty good idea of the, um, how much hard work it would be, but I had no idea, you know, being into it. I could finally understand when I didn't have the energy to respond to a text or an email after a 15 hour day, I'm like, oh, this is what my clients were talking about when they said, Matt, we love you. We will respond. We just didn't have time. And before mm -hmm. that, I thought, well, what do you mean you don't have time? You, you don't have time or you didn't make time. And so over the last eight years, it's helped me to really see the other side of things. I'm sure over the years that you've been in business, you know, the business might have had its challenges. I'm just wondering if there was ever a time that you were worried that the business might be at significant risk? Absolutely. You know, um, how things look on paper versus reality. That was another thing I learned being in business mm -hmm. for myself. And, um, you know, there's um, every day is an adventure. It's a roller coaster. And in recruitment, especially, sometimes it feels like three steps forward and two steps backwards, you know. And um, as I'm with different circles of business owners, there's not much when we all get in a room and we complain and air our grievances and talk about our successes. We're all kind of going through the same thing in the way of leadership and running a business. But um, yes, absolutely. I've lost sleep at times over checks coming in and cash flow and 
boy, life was sure easier when I was just running a desk. I only had to worry about myself. And, right. Uh, the grass is always greener, you know. So it hasn't been perfect, that's for sure. Um, so what is it that your firm does? We're an executive search firm. So primarily what we do, Rick, is we cold call, we headhunt executive level professionals nationwide, primarily in healthcare. And we learn about the individuals, um, what their current work-life situation is. And we try to make an honest, better match with the client that we're pitching to them versus what they currently have. And so it takes a lot of attentiveness to detail and conversation. It's a very unselfish approach because oftentimes when we're working, oftentimes when we're reaching out to people that are gainfully employed, they are happy, they are successful. We're, we're bothering them during their day, reaching out to them out of the blue. Um, but you know, a lot of the people in an executive capacity can see the value in what we're trying to do. And the truth is we can help them on a couple of different levels. We can help them with their own with their own career, whether it be now or later. And we can also help them build their team. And so most people at a higher level can see that value and they give us that space to, to connect with them. Um, our primary focus is healthcare. We do a little bit of staffing and accounting and finance, manufacturing technology, and um, there was one more, engineering. So, Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about your business. Why did you pick healthcare as a primary market? You know, I first got into recruitment in around 2000. It was right around the crash, the dot-com. It was right around 9-11. And in the model that I was staffing in at that time, their focus was administration, primarily executive administrators, um, clerical support type. And back in that day, our, our uh, model was to spend a half day internally interviewing people. And then the other half day, we would go out and canvas. I was in San Francisco at the time. And um, after 9-11, you couldn't walk into the skyscrapers, you couldn't canvas. And so it put a screeching halt on administrative staffing. Well, I, I got lucky. I did a reference check for an individual that I was working with on the candidate side into a private practice, hematology oncology. Um, and when I went into that building to follow up and pass out some marketing material, I noticed there was a hum in these private practices that was um, blood and cancer research, plastic surgery, um, anything you might find in a private practice type setting. And so right away, I took off and staffing front office and back office level professionals as the quality of my work had shown and the people that I was able to identify for my clients on the candidate side as that was showing in the quality of our work, they started asking me to do clinical staffing, which at the time the firm I was with didn't have the aggregate insurance to cover that. And so I left that company. I joined another company that did clinical staffing and my career kind of took off from there. And so primarily in the last 22 years that I've been in staffing, it's been healthcare. 
So we have uh, we've read a lot about the Great Resignation. We've we've heard a lot about wage inflation, specifically in the healthcare space. Are those trends evident? And if so, what are you seeing as far as the hiring and sourcing of candidates in healthcare? Great question. You know, I think in my little bit of experience in healthcare of most recent, you, and I and I say that in humility because my people are on the phone more than I am these days, and they're mm. talking directly with candidates and clients. So they would probably be more qualified to answer this question. But you know, I do know I do know this that. Um, Healthcare workers are in very high demand. There's a lot expected from them. What we primarily staff in is a pretty regulated industry. Some joke around and they say that it's the second most regulated industry to nuclear power. Hmm. We're in senior care. We do a lot of staffing <laughs> in senior care. And in senior care, it's, it's hit with a lot of regulations. There's been some most recent regulations that uh, are increasing fines for understaffed nursing homes. And a lot of people have different opinions about that. Um, it seems to me, rather than fining the senior care homes, we should be figuring out how to put more resources and money into the homes um, to allow to capture staffing. Because the truth is, is that acute care and prison systems and all these different entities that also uh, capture healthcare workers, they can afford to pay a lot more. They have bigger budgets than what a lot of the senior homes can pay. And so the senior care are already operating on a pretty thin margin. And then to be hit with fines, and it's already hard to find people. And so a lot of the workers in senior care, um, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, they're not necessarily in it for the money, Rick. You know, mm -hmm. they're in it because they have a true passion for a very fragile population, which in our case is mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. And so they're really in it for the heart and for the passion. Uh, these these uh, senior care workers especially are some of the hardest workers you'll ever see and run into. And I've been working in that population now for about 17 years. And so, you know, as far as the great resign, there's not a lot of people that are resigning um, in healthcare um, because of money or because they feel like they're not making enough, there's just only so much they can do. And a lot of the workers in senior care, I'll add this too, a lot of them are working a full-time job in senior care, and they're also picking up extra shifts at mm -hmm. different um, organizations, different healthcare organizations as well, just to make ends meet. So in my opinion, and there's a lot of industries that I could probably say this about, they're some of the hardest working people with the biggest hearts. So, so Matt, you're within uh, the healthcare niche. You're within a sub niche, which is senior care. And mm -hmm. from a, I'm curious as an entrepreneur, to why that specific area of healthcare is an area where you are, where you've developed kind of an expertise. You know, it's just a. Um, it's a candidate driven market, which is a good space for any recruitment firm to be in. And um, the demand has always been very high. It's not going anywhere. I think in 2010, 11,000 people a day started turning 65 or older. Mm -hmm. And so the baby boomer population really secures that niche. 
And of course, those aren't even the people that are being cared for primarily in the senior care home. And so um, in addition to that growth in population, a lot of the senior care operators are wanting the baby boomer mentality in the workforce because they're the ones willing to put in that 10, 15 hour workday for a six figure salary when a lot of um, people feel differently about that, the newer generations. And so now the baby boomer population is starting to retire as well as far as the workforce, which is also creating the demand. And so it's, um, it's a good position to be in when you're trying to develop business and recruit people with such a high demand. So Matt, I want, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is uh, I started my professional career selling office products and I would canvas uh, the territory that I had and I was new to Southern California. And when they gave it to me, they gave me North Hollywood. And I thought I had made it because I thought I had Hollywood. And so the first time I went out into North Hollywood, I quickly realized this isn't Hollywood. At least this isn't the Hollywood that I had in my mind. So I, I admire the fact that you early in your career were canvassing buildings, looking for people to talk to. That's not something that everybody is comfortable doing. And it's still a part of your culture of your company at a line. I'm wondering what have you seen in the people that can do that type of work that you hire that make those calls to the executive who isn't expecting to want to talk about the subject that your person is calling to talk about? What's the quality that you see in those people that make them successful? Obviously, you have that in your DNA as well. You know, it's being able to overcome the fear of rejection. That's the biggest part. I mean, as long as I've been doing this, I would... I wouldn't be completely honest if I didn't say each time I pick up that phone, even with a client that I know that I've done business with, <laughs> I get a little nervous, you know? Um, and so I don't know if that's uh, that's why I do it for that little bit of rush right before. But um, yeah, I think it's having no fear. It's being, um, well, I shouldn't say having no fear. It's being able to manage that fear right? Mm -hmm. Being able to put it in its place and just kind of move forward. And um, it, it takes a lot of hard work. It's hard work. It's much yeah. different being a desk jockey than a physical laborer. And I've done both, you know, so I can fairly assess that. Um, your industry is unique to me in some ways because you have candidates who are your clients. I mean, you have to convince them there's a brighter, brighter future for them. And then you need the, the, the employers who have the openings from which the candidates can fit. For me, it, it feels like a very challenging, almost match professional matchmaking job that your industry is doing to be successful, to find people to fill needs and positions that are out there. You know, it, um, but when you do it for the right reason, mm. if I'm simply gathering information from both sides and it makes sense, then I make a match. And if it doesn't, there's someone else that will be a good match, you know? And so in any work situation, there's probably an area or two where something can improve. And so it's our job as recruiters to unselfishly uncover that data and make that match accordingly. And the way a good recruiter is judged, you know, there's a lot of bad recruiters that make great money out there. Mm -hmm. 
I think, and this is something we practice with a line executive search, I think what really testifies to a great recruiter is looking at the retention rates. And even today, I can honestly say that there's people 22 years ago that I've placed within healthcare and outside of healthcare that are still with those same companies. They're growing um, into management and leadership roles. And, and that's really what it's about. And what's interesting too, I remember waking up thinking, my goodness, why am I, why am I placing this person in this role? They have no business being in this role. They don't have the skill set. One of my earlier mentors, she was amazing. Um, you know, she used to say, Matt, it's 70% personality, it's 30% skill set. And she's so right, because a lot of those people that I placed from an experience perspective, they had no business being in that role. But from a personality perspective, clearly they did because a lot of them are still there. So this is interesting, Matt. You talked earlier about uh, getting around other entrepreneurs and kind of sharing experiences. And then you just mentioned that one of your early mentors, uh, I'm wondering, where do you go now in this role as the president and CEO of Align to get around other entrepreneurs who have insights and experiences that can help you to stay ahead of your competition and continue to grow Align? Great question. And thank you for that, Rick. Um, I remember that stark realization, the first week going in business. And I came from a great partnership where I could walk into the guy's office and run anything by him. It was the CEO and the president at the time. They taught me so much. I'm so grateful for them. But I had that relationship with them. If I if I got the inkling like, maybe I don't know what I'm fully doing here. Let me let me just run into their office and run it by them. I have that level of comfort. Well, um, I didn't have that anymore. And so um, a lot of the answers are there. I make my decisions based on past experiences. I have a great uh, leadership team within my office that I bounce things off of. And... Um, and uh, it's interesting because even though some of them might have a, a certain less fraction of experience in what I do, whenever I can fight the ego and sit down and talk with somebody about what's really going on and what my thoughts are, rarely do I walk out of that conversation thinking, yep, that was a big fat waste of time. I got nothing out of that. I won't do that again. Um, but I have a great network of friends. I have friends that used to be nemesis that that I used to compete against in the in the sales floor that are now in the same position I am. So I communicate with them on a regular basis. I've used different CEO coaching clubs. I've got a lot out of that. Um, a lot of my clients are some of my best confidence. And, mm. and, you know, we all have something in common in that we're in a leadership role and that we deal with human capital. And so they'll, uh, they'll share what they would do in that situation. And so I think a big part of my success, um, Rick, is um, not um, not being afraid to ask the questions and just kind of opening up a little bit. And um, turns out that a lot of the people I ask the questions, uh, they're scratching their head with the same question themselves. You know, I end up helping them out more than they help me out. So, <laughs> right, and that's that's a great answer, and I think it speaks to the power of being vulnerable as a leader yes. and being humble. And so thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about the future. We have a few minutes left here on the program. Where do you see the company going? Where are you taking the line in the future? You know, we, um, 
there's so many different things that we're doing right now. We're taking a stronger presence in manufacturing, mm. good blue collar, hardworking people. Um, it's got a quick uh, return on investment and uh, manufacturing is going through the roof right now. And so we're really enjoying learning about those professionals, um, good salt of the earth people. It's a quicker sales cycle. And it's so fun because in manufacturing, you know, you back in the day, I heard manufacturing and I'm thinking hard hat and some machine shop. But manufacturing goes into the kitchen of uh, the commercial kitchen of C's Candy. There's manufacturing in there. And so there's all kinds of neat um, avenues in, in the manufacturing space. And um, I think part of our most recent success is really diversifying. And so we're building manufacturing in 2022. We're super excited about that. We're looking for a good divisional manager to spearhead that. And we have the foundation to have a successful division there. Um, and then um, our accounting and financing is blowing up. So we're expanding that as well. So my hope is, is that um, we'll be able to get each department as large as our current healthcare department but while doing so, doing it at a healthy pace um, with good, solid, loyal people. And so we're looking for professional, mature adults to come join the team with the line executive search. And um, we're having a lot of fun doing that. So in the future, growth, but at a healthy pace. So if someone listening today or in the future would like to reach out to you, how do they connect with you either on LinkedIn or learn more about your firm? You could give me a good old fashioned phone call at 949-313-1441. Um, of course, I'm on LinkedIn at Matt Armand, and I'm not too hard to get a hold of. You know, I'm here every day from 830 to 530. So um, we know where to find you then, I guess. You Matt. know where to find me. Well, I appreciate your candor. Your giving us a little bit of your time to share your story and the story of your company and to be a part of our business community here in Orange County. Thank you. Rick, thank you for having me. It was a true pleasure. Folks, you've just listened to another segment of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Matt's episode was episode number 1,357. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you'd like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn or reach out to me on my website. It's Rick franzi.com. And until the next chance we have to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.